0: bring it to an anchor. In this case, the anchor is sensations that are happening in the feet so that the mind and body are in the same place right here. Coach Tom Coughlin talks about be where your feet are. And it just means have your mind and body in the same place. So what we're doing is, is training for that. And so that's something that's really easy to do, right? I mean, I was doing it on our call, right? I'm, I'm sitting in, in this office at a computer and it got me a little more present.
1: Welcome to Happy Athlete, a podcast about overcoming obstacles and sparking change in ourselves and the world. We'll dig into mindfulness, enhancing performance, jumpstarting our passions, and learn tools to be stronger, happier, more grateful, and at peace. Hi, everyone. This is Sean Conley. Welcome to another episode of Happy Athlete. My guest today is Chad McGeehee. Chad is a mindfulness teacher who creates, teaches, and researches the impacts of meditation practices on well-being and performance. Chad has taught mindfulness in various settings, including with current college athletes, retired professional athletes, police officers, and K-12 students and teachers. Chad is the University of Wisconsin Athletics Director of Meditation Training. So I'm going to say that again because this is this is so new and so unique. Chad is the University of Wisconsin Athletics Director of Meditation Training. And the University of Wisconsin is the first, and as far as I know, the only school in the country with a full-time meditation specialist dedicated to its athletic department. So really excited to have you here. Chad, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Sean, for having me. Really excited to talk with you.
1: All right. Well, hey, um, I'm excited to kick it off. Um, you know, sports, meditation, uh, two of my favorite subjects. Um, but I have a feeling today is going to be about a lot more, a lot more than sports. You know, so, you know, like lessons we can learn. You know, beyond beyond the field, on and off. You know, such as pushing and pushing and how that's maybe not the most effective way to go about go about our lives. Um, beyond beyond athletics. So I thought a, a good opening question would to be just, you know, mindfulness, we hear this word everywhere. It's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's like the, the latest, like, like buzzword, but it's obviously more than, more than a buzzword. So, so what what is mindfulness and how does one practice being mindful?
0: I think um, one, I mean, I, I appreciate the question because the, it is in some spaces, complete buzzword status. So agreement on terms is really important. You know, as, as you know, there's no central licensing body for mindfulness and meditation teachers. So kind of agreeing on what we mean and establishing the rigor of that is really important. So so when I'm talking about mindfulness, what I'm talking about is present moment awareness of what is happening and it's present moment awareness of what is happening externally right, around us, sight, sounds, people, environment, all that. And also present moment awareness of what's happening internally with thoughts, emotions, sensations throughout the body. And when we become aware of what is happening around us, when we become aware of what's happening in us from a place of curiosity, not judgment, from a place of stability, not agitation, then where we end up is what George Mumford, who did meditation training with the bulls, calls the eye of the hurricane, that sense of groundedness regardless of conditions. So that mindfulness becomes a huge uh, baseline from which a support for both performance and well-being can be cultivated.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, I always have a hard time answering that question um, when it comes up. For me, sometimes it's been easier just to talk about like like what it's not, you know, like for me, like, go, you know, being on autopilot and all that. So it's just it's really nice to hear like like what it is in, in such a like a so simplistic way. Um you know, w- one of the articles I read about you, I, I, I was actually, you know, um, uh, I found that we had we had a lot in common in terms of our journey into into meditation. I, I was sad to read that we we had this. Uh, we we both lost our father around the same time. Um, And that, that, that got you into meditation and mindfulness. And for me, you know, I was into the, I was bought in on the the yoga for the physical reasons, but nothing really beyond that. Um, But because I was dealing with grief, or actually I wasn't really dealing with it. um, And I had nightmares and ongoing, and I was very stuck. That's what eventually led me to really embrace the mindfulness, and and it's, it's why I do today. What I do today, I've been able to shift, you know, that that grief to gratitude. So I was very curious about um, your story. I believe this happened in, in your in your senior year in high school, and how you could if you could share that part of your journey with us.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to share. And um, in some ways, it's unsurprising that that we have that in common. I think oftentimes folks who end up you know, dedicating a big portion of their lives, whether it's you know personal practice or it ends up turning professional for them, oftentimes there was a there was a fork in the road where suffering showed up, and I know that was true for me. So at 17 years old, my father unexpectedly passed away, and you know about a year later, when I when I felt like I was really mired in it, you know, it felt like the suffering was kind of everywhere and I couldn't escape. Um, I remember being in my parents' backyard and and having a choice. Uh, or it felt like a choice to me, and the choice was I could either run from this, I could hide from this, or I could find a way to face it, to meet it, to go through it. And something in me quivered and said, "You got to find a way to go through this." Uh, and I didn't know how to do that, uh, so that put me on a path to try to understand, figure that out. Um, and and what really gave me the skills and frameworks to be able to do it was mindfulness and meditation. So long after that suffering transformed, these skills and practices and concepts were just supporting me as Chad as a guy living his life. Uh, and I never intended to teach it to anybody. Uh, and then my first career was as a public school teacher, and I felt like I was sitting on something really valuable that I wanted to share. So I just started to to pilot a little bit, you know, with the kids in my reading group with colleagues after school and and they started to benefit. So then that got me interested on this path of, what are skillful ways I knew I was going to be a meditator for the rest of my life, but what are the skillful ways that I could share these practices with other folks?
1: Mm, that's fantastic. I would like to circle back to, to the university of Wisconsin, you know, you, you, being, you know, this, this, this new role, this new title that, that that's, that's unheard of in the uh, athletic world. And I read somewhere that there was a uh, former NFL and university of Wisconsin players that were involved in a study on, on mind and emotions. And then somehow you came into the picture and and this all came to be. So I was hoping you could, you know, give us the backstory on this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really a story of, uh, you know, happenstance in many ways. Um, so I had, I'd been teaching mindfulness and meditation for, for many years. And at the time I was based at a group at, at UW Madison that does research on this sort of work called the center for healthy minds. Uh, and a, a player who you mentioned, Chris Borland, he had played in the NFL, played at Wisconsin, retired, and wanted to do things, kind of create programs for guys who had played in the league and and that could benefit them. Uh, So long story short, he and I met and and we created this eight-week training for 17 retired NFL players. And we didn't know what would happen. This is an eight-week mindfulness and meditation training. Would these guys say, are you freaking kidding me? I'm not going (laughs) to meditate like I played in the league for a decade, right? Like, you know, Sean, like this is not the first thing that this audience, you know, we start to think of is likely meditators. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so they had some skepticism initially, uh, but it was that trusted confidant in Chris who they respected as a, as a man and as a, as a player that he said, Hey, this stuff's legit. This Chad guy's legit. That got him into the room and then they experienced the benefits themselves. They saw how it supported them, you know, as humans living their life and also in terms of their performance and, you know, these guys were done with their active playing career. So they had moved on to whatever was was happening in their lives, you know, running businesses, nonprofits. And some of them were still on staff in the Wisconsin Athletic Department. So it was those guys that said, hey, we think some of our current athletes could really benefit from this, including the then head strength coach for the football team. Uh, and so he started to invite me in and kind of give me some of his strength conditioning time. And then slowly from there, I started working with other teams and and there was enough benefit for enough people that it made sense to create this first of its kind position.
1: What was it like that the, the, the first time you walked in, like, you know, work, working with the younger players who hadn't been sold at all. You know, when Karen and I first, we, we worked with the Steelers a number of years ago, the first time we went there, it was just, it was just a mess. You know, like they, they, they had, they, they the, <laughs> the coaches made them be there. 90% of them yeah. didn't want to be there. There was eye rolls, you know, they were talking to the coaches trying to get out of it the whole time. Um, and, uh, so I'm curious what your experience was the first time you walked into the auditorium, like the, the coach introduced you. I hey, hate this is coach Chad of you know the meditation. Like how, what, what happened in that room?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, is definitely like that. Uh, those first times, I mean, memories are kind of flooding back. I can remember in the, in the Wisconsin football team room, you know, we had 15 minutes, right. You know, so it's all 120 guys on the team in the room and uh, they're the all start- staring at you. They're <laughs> all staring at me, right? Like, who's this guy, right? Um, and and that strength coach who I mentioned, he kicked it off, right? And he said, he kind of gave his first person account of when I first came across it, you know, I was a little skeptical. I wasn't sure, right? You know, he's like, in our culture, we're not used to talking about what's going on on the inside. Uh, and he said, when I started to get in there, and started to do some of these practices, I benefited in these ways, kind of, it made me better at my job, made me a better dad, allowed me to you know, not only rest and recover better, but also supported him and his performance. You know, and at that point, you know, strength coaches are still, you know, they're working out with the guys, right? Like they're cranking along. So, I think that transfer of credibility at least allowed the guys to have some interest, right, and open their door. And then when I started to talk to the guys, I mean, I think a couple things allowed it to land. One, I come at this from a scientific approach. I mentioned I was based at the Center for Early Minds Neuroscience Research Group for ten years, and and so. That credibility of rigorous science keeps them open. I've also trained with a lot of similar populations. I've spent a lot of time in law enforcement environments, local law enforcement, state. I still train with FBI SWAT teams. So that says, all right, other people who, you know, these athletes may see themselves culturally similar to, they've also explored the practice. And then the way we frame the work is really strength conditioning for the mind. You know, how many times in sport do we say, you know, one rep at a time, next play, things like this, and how often do we train for it? We almost never do. We just say it and expect it to happen. So I think them seeing it as, oh, I can train for these qualities mm-hmm. that can support me to be better, uh, then then they were interested in kind of moving it forward.
1: That's great. And then did the players, so it sounds like you, you sold them mainly on like the physical and their performance. Did did any players you know ever tell you like, hey, I got, this is helping me more than just on the field, like, like, like with my school and with my relationships and
0: yeah, all the time. And so the way I talk about it is meditation training is training the mind for performance and well Uh, and these two things are deeply intertwined Mm -hmm. and performance isn't just limited to athletic performance. It can be academic performance, right? It can be performance in the family, you know, in the community, wherever we're at kind of supporting us. So, um, all the time, athletes tell me stories, a guy came up to me in the weight room the other day uh grabbed me by the shoulders looked me square in the eyes and it's like he said you know man i've struggled with anxiety my entire life ever since we've come in and you've been doing this work with us i've been using these practices and it has made a huge difference mm-hmm. and then he stepped back shook my hand and walked away mm-hmm. and and that i mean it gives me chills just thinking about it right now right because that it's normal. We, we're all going to experience anxiety. We're all going to experience frustration or worry. These challenging emotions, and it's not a problem to experience those things. It's normal. We're humans. The question is, do we have the skills to work with it? Because that's going to show up, you know, for these, for student athletes, academically, it's going to show up in their performance, athletically, it's going to show up across their lives. And in meditation training, we're training the mind. The mind is always with us, so we should expect it to show up in all of these different domains.
1: Mm. So so you sell them on the idea that this is a skill, something that they can actually like get better at.
0: hundred percent. I think about it as a skill. and And I think that's the way the science is pointing us to think about it, that there are certain skills of mind that we know we can train. Scientifically, we think about it as neurons that fire together, wire together. And so who's taking responsibility for the training that's happening in their own mind? We all want things like resilience. We all want poise. We all want, you know, a greater sense of connection. We all want a, a greater sense of groundedness. And we know that we can train for these things. And and we can use meditation to train for those qualities. So, let's get out of talking about them being valuable or hoping for them to show up and actually train for them. And as you know, Sean, athletes are the best in the world at training. They 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 embrace the grind. They understand it's those small hinges that are going to swing big doors. And oftentimes they think about it, maybe it's in the weight room or, you know, nutrition or, you know, extra film or whatever that may be. But here's another element of training the mind that can be a huge support for them.
1: This leads me to my next question about, you know, you talked about like the resiliency and there's a story about uh, the Wisconsin quarterback there who. Uh, was struggling, uh, sounded like physically and mentally. And his, he says in the story, it's such a great quote, he's so honest. He says that, that his answer to each of these moments was to push, push himself to be the best, push himself to play better, push himself mm-hmm. to know more. Push himself through the challenges facing him, and it was it was it, it just really hit me because like I think you know we go you know whether we're playing sports or not, we all think that that's like the answer. Um, but then you entered the pitcher and you helped him with focus, resiliency, stability. So I'd love to hear how you helped him. You know w- you know work those skills into his into his uh, into his life.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, that the the story like you're saying for him is true for so many athletes and so many people in the world. We're used to the way to get better is to grind more, grind harder. Like mm-hmm. and we celebrate it in sports. Uh, you know, sport is a metaphor for right. life. Right. You know, first in, last out, like all of those things. And 100 percent, we cannot expect great results without putting in, you know, great preparation. Like it has to happen. Right. And at the same time, it can hit a tipping point where it's too much, right? Where we start to not only get diminishing returns, but actually start to do things that aren't helpful for us. And so it takes self-awareness to know when we're at that point, right? Like, when is what I'm doing actually not going to be helpful for my performance? It's not going to help me in my preparation. It's not going to help me on game day. And so developing that skill of self-awareness is extremely important And because I think, You know, like in in sport and in life, we talk all the time about, you know, we want to get comfortable in the uncomfortable. And I just don't think that's really possible. Uh, I think saying that is like saying you should be dry when you're wet. You're wet, like you're uncomfortable and uncomfortable is not a problem. That's part of the process. It's also and definitely part of the process if you're interested in doing something at an elite level. So what we should be looking for is the ability to have a sense of stability in the discomfort. And stability comes from being able to discern, you know, these other things that we talk about in sports, control the controllables. How often have we heard something like that? A zillion times, right? But how often do we think about like control the controllables of our inner life, of our thoughts and emotions? Almost never. Like we don't, most of us don't think we have the skills to be able to do that, but we absolutely do. And when we kind of can let go of thoughts that are no longer helpful for us, and just focus on the thoughts that are helpful for us. It's a game changer to the ability to focus. And you know, for these high performance, high pressure situations, especially a position like a quarterback, is an unbelievable amount of pressure. So being able to have some stability and discernment in that mix is a game changer.
1: Mm. Yeah, this is such powerful stuff. You know, I'm thinking about like, you know, when I played, and just even nowadays, like you still hear so often, you know, forever, you know, sports is ninety percent mental. Yet for years there was there was no mental training behind the scenes like 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 almost zero. Then it started to change. I think you know with the Chicago Bulls and uh, uh, Coach Jackson started bringing it, but it was still it appeared it was more performance not beyond that. And, you know, um, you know, some I've seen studies out there that say 90% of disease comes from stress. But when we Mm. think about like working out or our fitness regimen, it's, it it doesn't include something, something for something for the mind. So I was curious to what you think, like what is the role of meditation and mindfulness and athletics and fitness, you know, just like, you know, your weekend warrior and just, you know, people who, who exercise on a regular basis. What's the role of, of both of those?
0: I mean, I think you know our, our, our mind is involved in every moment of our life. Emotions are happening all day long for us. Thoughts are coming through our minds all the time. And if we're just leaving all of that to chance, then we're giving a huge aspect of our life and our performance and our happiness and just hoping that it works out. Uh, and I'm just not interested in that. I'd much rather take a proactive approach and say, yeah, a lot is gonna happen in life. And most of it I won't be able to control. But what I can control is my response to it. What I can control is the skillfulness which I can bring you know, thoughts, emotions in that situation. And, and so I think integrating these sorts of practices into physical training um, is kind of on the path that strength conditioning once was, right? Like you know, 50, 60 years ago, most elite athletes, weekend warriors, everyday folks weren't lifting weights. And now all of us, whether we do it or not, We know we should have strength training as part of our routine. And I think this sort of training is on a similar path that taking a few minutes at the start of the day, at the end of the day, in the middle of the day to train for stability, to train for appreciation, to train for connection, to train for an embodied sense of purpose, allow us to be happier people, but also allow us to be more stable in the pursuit of our performance goals.
1: Almost like something that we can do like, like every day, like, like brushing our teeth, like something like a preventative to just, okay, I'm going to do this. So like when I do get in a stressful situation, I've got these tools and skills that you're talking about that I've already haven't perfected, but at least I know I have something to, to go back to
0: hundred percent. I mean, and so this is, you know, we think about the work that's happening at the university of Wisconsin athletic department and this idea of strength and conditioning for the mind, you know, nobody goes into their performance as an athlete without having spent time in the weight room you just wouldn't do it right it wouldn't make any sense um but yet most of us end up doing that with our own minds we don't go to kind of like the mental gym and train for that before we go into the performance so this way of training you know the guys might finish a lift and then boom it's you know 10-15 minutes with chad and we're doing some meditation training so it's just woven in so for these athletes that show up now that we've been at it for a few years being a Wisconsin volleyball player, Wisconsin softball player, rower football player across you know many of our teams, meditation training is just part of what it takes. It's just normal. Uh, and that is unbelievably exciting and encouraging to me so that hopefully what we're doing at Wisconsin uh, becomes you know an example of what's possible so that when we look back in 10 or 15 years it's no longer novel and exciting to talk about mindfulness and meditation. It's just normal. It's just how we do it uh, mm. in, in sport and in life.
1: One of the tools you mentioned was the use of a, of an anchor. How, how mm. can one use that just in like a practical, easy way in, in their day-to-day life?
0: Yeah. So if, if, if you don't give the mind a job to do, it'll find a job to do. And we all know what that feels like. The mind's like a heat seeking missile for something, right? It's like wandering around looking for something to latch onto. Uh, so with anchors, we're giving the mind a job to do. We're giving it a responsibility. And with mindfulness, if we want to be present, if we want to be, have the mind and the body in the same place, then we need to train the mind with anchors that are happening in the present moment. So I encourage everyone listening right now to feel the sensations that are happening in their feet, the pressure against the floor, maybe there's tingling, maybe there's warmth or coolness. It doesn't matter what the sensation is. It's feeling the sensation in your feet. And then let go of that. And here you are. So it's just taking a moment to give the mind a job to do, bring it to an anchor. In this case, the anchor is sensations that are happening in the feet. So that the mind and body are in the same place right here. And I learned a a line. uh, I haven't met him, but coach Tom Coughlin uh, talks about be where your feet are. Uh, and it just means have your mind and body in the same place. So what we're doing is, is training for that. And so that's something that's really easy to do, right? I mean, I was doing it on our call, right? I'm, I'm sitting in, in this office at a computer and it got me a little more present. I can do that later when I'm with my six-year-old and I wanna be present for that. Or before a big meeting or presentation or athletes are using it all the times, whether it's you know at the free throw line, before kickoff, pre snap, uh, in the weight room, in film, before a test. Really simple practice to weave into the day.
1: Fantastic, that's so great. Hey, um, Chad, I was thinking it's this would be a great time right now if you could just uh, you know plug away. Maybe where they can find you. Um, maybe where they can uh, like get resources if they're interested in meditation or they want to take it to the next level. Or uh, maybe they're in the sports world and they want to connect with you that way. With uh, the floor is yours. Go for it.
0: Thanks, Sean yeah so um, if, if folks want to connect with me directly uh, we have a, a consulting company called inner Edge meditation uh, so feel free to connect there inneredgemeditation.com connect with me on, on social always happy to, to connect there um, and let me just say a little bit about like the inner edge meditation why we called it that and I think it speaks to really what we're talking about here is all of us have an inner life. all of us have thoughts all of us have emotions all of us have histories but not all of us have the skills to work with it and when we find the skills to work with it then we give ourselves that inner edge we give ourselves that ability to meet the circumstances of our life in more skillful ways both for performance and for well-being so folks can can connect there um, and then at the University of Wisconsin athletic department as well uh, i'm hope to look back like i said in 10 15 20 years and just like there's a head strength coach at every you know Football program, every every athletic program of any kind. I hope there's a director of meditation training at all levels of sport.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's happening, and you're the you're, you're you're one of the pioneers.
0: Well, appreciate it. appreciate your interest too. I mean, I think what you're doing, Sean, is really cool. I mean, I think this is, you know, part of. I think what happens in this work is, and you spoke to it, was uh, people have a personal experience with the practice and they benefit from it, and then they want to share that with others. And a word we would use to call that, and we may not use it all the time in sport, but the word to describe wanting other people to benefit and suffer less is Mm -hmm. compassion. So it's motivated by compassion. It's wanting other people to suffer less, to be happier people. So when that's the motivation for work, then it just kind of like people resonate with that. It starts to spread. There's interest. So I think it's starting, you know, in in many ways in, in small pockets across the country. And I think you and I are examples of that. Uh, but little by little, it'll kind of find its way to, you know, benefit, you know, hopefully thousands, millions that this will just be a normal way of training the mind.
1: All right. I appreciate that. Yep. I I think it's happening. Well, Hey, uh, big thank you to Chad. I, I I learned a lot, really enjoyed speaking with you and thanks, um, everyone for listening. Uh, please share this with anyone you think could benefit and catch up with you all soon
0: on the next episode. Take care, everyone.